0: Thank you, Jennifer. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 9. If you have a prayer slip, visitor slip, we would love to receive that from you. And we'll pray for you this week. We were all taken back when we heard the news back in October. On October 7th, in 2023, Hamas launched a series of violent attacks against Israel. This was the first invasion of Israel since... 1948, with the Arab-Israeli war. And the sinister raids began in the early morning hours with 3,000 rockets launched against Israel. Additionally, there were numerous vehicle-transported and power, uh, powered paraglider invasions into Israel's territory. When all was reported, Hamas had massacred Israeli communities, terrorized a music festival... And attack military bases. The aftermath of this attack left over 1,100 dead. 1,139 dead. 250 soldiers and civilians were taken hostages. 30 of which were children. And they've been played as pawns since then. Add to these vicious attacks. Numerous accounts of rape. Sexual assault. The day was labeled the bloodiest in Israel's history and the deadliest for Jews since the Holocaust in modern times. These horrific events really brought Israel to the forefront of the world's conversation. And Christians have been discussing this for years, but at the forefront of the world's conversation concerning Israel's response, Israel's status as a nation. And for Christians, Israel has always been a major topic for us. Because we don't have to read very far in our Bible to where we see God called Abraham, he called a nation to be his people, and from that was the conduit that would bring the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Paul spoke of Israel's priority regarding the gospel in Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 16, he says, For I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. When Christ came, His ministry was focused on the lost, lost sheep of Israel. And we are predominantly, I think without exception in this gathering, uh, Gentiles. Gentiles. And we are thankful for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel came first to the Jew, then to the Greek. And then in chapter 2 of Romans, Paul said, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a, a Jew is one inwardly. So Paul is saying a true Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter and his praise is not from man but from God. So since the coming of Christ, what happened to Israel um, is, is God's plan. What happened to Israel in God's plan was that Christ came to his own and his own received him not. How are we to take that? You've got thousands of years of history of God calling his people and then Christ comes and they reject him almost without exception. Does Israel's failure mean that God's word has failed? Is God finished with Israel? What does this mean for the church? How are we to regard modern Israel? How, does it, how, do, how do we fit in as Gentiles? These are all questions that have really been brought to the forefront in the last four or five months. Thomas Schreiner, a reliable Old Testament scholar, wrote, the relationship of Israel to God's saving plan calls for a resolution. And Paul turns to that question here in Romans 9 through 11, where he takes kind of an excursion and he deals with the question of Israel, God's election of Israel. We hit God's sovereignty head on in this chapter And a couple of thoughts enter my mind as we come into Romans 9 through 11. The uh, the letter to the Romans was probably read in a single gathering. (laughs) Here I am taking years. (laughs) 27 messages in Romans 8. It was likely read in full in a morning gathering of the church. And we can forget some things on the way. So I think part of my job as a pastor is to remind us that doctrine fuels life, that our gatherings are not merely to talk about doctrine, but rather that the doctrine would fuel us out to be ambassadors for Christ and that his mercy would be on display. So I want to remind us of the therefores in the book of Romans, like the one found in chapter 5, where he says... Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, there, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And then the one in chapter 12, which we haven't gotten to yet. But I want to hold it up to us now and will remind you that we're coming to it. Because what he says is in light of God's mercies, Therefore, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice, and then you follow the chapter out, and it's one, one good deed after another, using your spiritual gifts, showing the mercy of Christ, showing the light of Christ in your life and in mine. And so it's with purpose that we try to understand this. Romans 9 is the greatest statement on God's sovereignty anywhere in the Bible, I think. Paul is seeking to resolve that tension of Israel's unbelief. How are we to understand Israel? Let me just say right out of the gate this morning that when we look at national Israel, the only way anyone, Jew or Gentile, can be made right with God is under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. The only, one anyone can be, the only way anyone can be saved and reconciled and justified before God is faith in Jesus Christ. All of the old covenant promises, all of the old covenants pointed to the fulfillment that would come in Jesus Christ. So if you reject the newness that has come in Christ, you're still dead in your sins. You perish in your sins, whether you're an ethnic Jew or a Gentile. The same is true. So when we're talking about Israel, we're not talking about a geopolitical unit. We're talking about God's covenant with Israel from the very beginning. Again, that would be a series of promises which would lead to Christ's coming I want to encourage you to open your hearts and minds to be challenged by these truths for your spiritual well-being because I was just thinking this past week and watching things online about the state of the church and last week was the Super Bowl and how many churches just morphed their church into a um, a pregame stop uh, with goalposts on the Platform, and even one um, pastor kicking, or church leader kicking the Bible like a football into the crowd, and everybody's wearing their jerseys. And I'm just thinking, you know, what would the likelihood be of anyone remaining in the building for very long if someone went up there with a Bible and opened it up and began to preach a text? Who's got time for that? In the danger of living in a culture where you're dumbing down and you're dumbing down and you're dumbing down and you're dumbing down and there's nothing left. And ultimately, you have the world and those who are inclined by its offerings saying, hey, look, we can get the same thing in the world that you guys are offering in the church and it's better. And so, we open the Word of God here to seek to be faithful to challenge our minds and our hearts with things that will sustain you and support you in Christ. And as we look at the, these passages in, in Romans chapter 9, I pray that would feed our soul indeed, that we would rejoice in them. So let's look at several things. Notice the contrast first. If you're uh, following in the insert, this would be number one, blessed assurance Blessed assurance mingled with great sorrow. So we're just coming out of the last section of Romans 8, and it is a Mount Everest. And then we hit 9, and it's like a wet blanket. Paul's talking about sorrows. He's talking about great sorrows. He's talking about a burden for his, his people, the Israelites. Even though Paul w- was an apostle to the Gentile Gentiles, He always had a great burden for his people, Israel. In fact, in his missionary journeys, when he would go into a city, he would stop by the synagogue first, and he would spend time there investing in his kindred. And it wouldn't be long before they kicked him out because they didn't want to hear what he had to say. And that was a common response. Oh, there were some exceptions along the way. But by and large, when Paul uh, proclaimed um, the new covenant in Christ, he was rejected out of hand. So you have this kind of um, radical switch from Romans 8 to Romans 9. R. R. Kent Hughes described it like this. He remembers sitting in a restaurant on a warm morning when through the window he saw trees suddenly bend to the rushing wind and the sky darkened as black clouds bore down from the north and by the time he left the restaurant the temperature had dropped 25 degrees. We all know what that's like to get a cold front come roaring through in Louisiana. And that's kind of the feel you get when you leave Romans eight, where it says, Man, if God is for us, who could be against us? And um, he who is not willing to or he who is willing to spare his own son, will he not also give us all things? Who can bring a charge against us? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Not a thing. And then we come to this burden. This burden in Romans 9:1, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have a great sorrow for my people. You have great sorrow for your people? You got loved ones without Christ? Kindred that don't know the Lord? Maybe it's an unbelieving spouse? Maybe it's your kids? Maybe it's a friend you've known for years and they are not interested in the Savior you follow and your heart breaks for for them. And you you long for them to know the sweetness of your salvation and the value of knowing Christ and being forgiven and made right with God and the hope that He brings. I think we get a little bit of understanding. I have great sorrow and unceasing, unceasing anguish I can imagine Paul thinking, you know, I'm so weary of entering into a town and going to a synagogue and pouring my heart and soul into my kindred and them kicking me out and cutting me off. So the Apostle Paul will take three chapters to address this tension. What, What are we to do with an unbelieving Israel in light of God's elective purposes from the beginning? The unbelievable privileges that God gave to them and it's hard to miss the application. Would you not say, gathered in this room today, that God has given to us unbelievable privileges? Do you have a Bible in our own language, that we can read and study and savor, to have been exposed to Christian teaching all of our lives, to enter the Internet and to go as deep as you want to go with sound teaching? There's a lot of unsound stuff. But the sound teaching, it is there for us. And So by and large, they're unbelieving and therefore cut off from Christ and perishing. How can this be? Is God faithful? Has God's word failed? Which leads us secondly. A sincere but impossible request. In verse three, for I could wish that I myself were Accursed. I, you know, just being honest, I can't ever remember having a thought like that. Yes, I'm burdened for those I know and love that don't know the Lord. But this is pretty radical. I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. It's a, it's a sincere but impossible request. Paul reveals the depth of his feeling here. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He had great zeal. He was probably accused of turning his back on his own people. There you are with the Gentiles again. His calling took him beyond his Jewish roots, and he, but he never lost his love for, for his Jewish brothers and sisters And his sorrow was so deep and intense that he was willing to be cursed, cut off, damned in order that they might be saved. What about your enemies? If you were to review the book of Acts and 2 Corinthians 11 and look at all the things his own people did to him, it's brutal. And he loved them. Which kind of comes full circle. How are we doing in loving our enemies? Do you anguish for them? You got somebody right now, truth be known, you you hate them. Or despise them. Or you're just totally indifferent to them. Paul was a great preacher of election. He will preach it again in a few verses. We'll see in this chapter. And his knowledge of the need of God's grace and salvation did not keep him from sorrowing over those who were lost, even his own people. And I I commend the heart of the Apostle Paul to us this morning. Yes, he was a sinner. You remember chapter 7 where he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? But he had a burden that was right. And so let the sins of others grieve you and you'll work for their salvation in exactly the same proportion and you will speak often of Christ and you will seek to minister his love. I read of Charles Spurgeon, an episode from his ministry, a girl who was not in good health approached her pastor and said that her funeral was coming And she spoke of her father who was an unbeliever. I've invited him, she said. I've invited him many times to church. He just is not interested. He won't come. But at my death, at my funeral, he'll come. And then she looked at him and said, you preach the gospel to him. And he was converted. Spurgeon records. He was converted and the girl did not die in her father's place as Jesus died for us but she had the spirit of Christ and that she was willing to die if her death might cause the conversion of one close to her whom she very much loved. Well, where do you think this idea came from for Paul to say, I I have great sorrow. I wish that I myself were accursed or cut off. Well, I think he probably had Moses in mind, don't you? Who said basically the same thing in Exodus 32. The scene in Exodus 32 is the golden calf. Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Israel's down in the valley under the fine leadership of Aaron, breaking the very covenant that God is giving to them. Moses was up on the mountain 40 days, receiving the law of God. Aaron's down in the valley, charged with, just keep it together, Aaron. And Moses began to delay, and the people did what they did best. They complained, and they pressed Aaron into servicing. Make us a God. Isn't it interesting that the first and second commandment commandments are, you shall have no other gods, you shall make no idols. And they're doing the very thing that God has called them to not do. And so they give Aaron the gold, and he presses this calf Many scholars seem to think that it's referring to the, they had in mind the Egyptian god of Apis, which was a great bull god. Well, they didn't get a bull, they got a golden calf. And then they entered into a disastrous orgy and dishonored God. And God says, You need to go down, they're breaking the covenant. And God's wrath was against them and they, he wanted to wipe them out. And Moses intercedes and he says, I'd rather be cut off. And he appeals to God on several levels. One is, Lord, I'm appealing for their, th- their salvation that I would rather be cut off because Egypt will hear about it and they will think that you brought them out here just to kill them. And then there's the covenant, Lord, that you made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're a covenant-keeping God, And I imagine Moses might have been tempted because God said in that conversation to him, I'll build a new people with you. That might have been tempting if you were self-serving. But Moses was driven by the honor of God. And he says, I'm a product of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so Moses interceded for the people and God was merciful to them as he interceded. Paul knew that Jesus did not receive the full outpouring of, uh, of God's wrath against sins. He knew that Jesus received the full outpouring of God's wrath against sins so that those who come to God through faith in him might be saved. I, nobody can die for your sins except Jesus Christ. Paul, as noble as his thoughts were, could not reverse the situation of the Jews And so he's anguishing, he's hurting. And maybe you are too. And I think that's part of living the Christian life is that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And there are griefs that we bear in this life and that we would receive them. And this is one, that without Jesus Christ, we perish and we have loved ones in that state. Do we pray for them? Do we seek to minister to them? Do we seek to do good to them? And then thirdly, Spiritual advantages don't save you. They are given to lead you to faith in Jesus Christ. Look at these advantages, would you? In verses 4 and 5, he speaks of these advantages. He says um, in verse 4, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. We'll stop for now in verse Four, but we notice that they were Israelites. They were called to be people of God. God called Abram a star gazing moon worshiper in Ur the Chaldees and called him to himself to leave his land and his family to establish a people for his name. They're Israelites. If you have faith, the faith of Abraham, you are a a child of Abraham and belong to the true Israel. You are grafted into the tree of true Israel and are the beneficiaries of all the rest of these privileges. So maybe you, you, you hear these privileges read, you're wondering, okay, that, that's for them, that's nice. No, they're for you. In Christ, they come to you. All who have the faith of Abraham or are of Abraham's seed are in Christ Jesus And notice he mentions adoption. Paul uses this imagery of our salvation, of all the things you could say about salvation, justification, adoption, come to my mind, that we're reconciled to God. And he says in chapter 8, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery falling back into fear. But you have received a spirit of adoption. You've been adopted into God's forever family. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a son, a daughter of God. Legally declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, but you're adopted into a family. And this applies both to Jew and Gentile. The true Israel includes includes Jews and Gentiles under the new covenant. We've been adopted into God's eternal family through Christ. Notice next, it mentions the glory. And scholars automatically think of the Shekinah glory that rested in the tabernacle and the temple. And the house that God filled. And I think it refers to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory that is to be revealed to us. I think of 1 John 3 where it says, see what kind of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, beloved. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not not yet appeared, but we do know that when he appears, we'll be made like him, because we'll see him for who he is. He mentions the covenants, and I would include the promises as well. That's down on the list. Covenants and promises. You know, you've heard a lot this morning about promises. (laughs) You know, the music that we've sung and in this text, I pray you would savor God's promises to you in Christ. The covenants sum up all of the Old Testament promises. All the covenants initiated by God belong to you. Now, I think when we talk about Israel through Romans 9 through 11, and we'll come back to this, but let me just mention it on the front end. And that is that Paul has in mind a believing remnant of Israel, a believing remnant in Israel. That he'll say in chapter 7 that Elijah was bemoaning, I'm the only one left. And God said, no, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God's always got a remnant. He's always got a believing remnant. Within Israel, as a corporate body, there's a a true Israel, a believing Israel, a remnant of believers. Gentiles, but I also think that with regard to Israel, there's a future hope for Israel, a future ethnic Israel as a whole. I think we'll see in, in chapters 9 through 11 that there will be A mass turning of Israel to faith in Jesus Christ at the end time to the amazement of the world. I think we'll see that in this text. I'll try to make the case to that end. Gentiles who trust the Messiah are grafted in. All of these promises, these covenants apply to us even now. The new covenant brings all other covenants to completion through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're wondering, how should I regard Israel? Well, as a national entity, they need the Savior. They need the Savior. That that by all appearances, there's a small believing remnant of Israel, even to today, even to this day. And all of us have met Jews who have come to embrace Jesus as their Messiah. Years ago, we used to have Jews for Jesus. I think we had them a few times. And uh, they're ethnic Jews who've come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and they've ministered here on occasion. I appreciate their efforts in Israel and to hear their stories as they do street evangelism and seek to engage their countrymen. It's not a warm reception when they go into a city in the northeast into Jewish communities and seek to witness they're they're not well received but there's a future hope for ethnic israel and for us in christ the answer is yes to these promises notice he mentions the giving of the law the law was given to reveal god's righteous and holy standard it was given it was given to the wor- to hold the world accountable it was given that every mouth would be stopped, Romans 3.19. So the law doesn't bring us salvation, it shows us our need for a savior. It is a guide to show us our need for Christ, which leads next to worship. The worship, the tabernacle. I'm in Leviticus now in my Bible reading. Anybody in Leviticus? It's a tough sled, but it's worth it. The worship, of the tabernacle, the worship of the temple, the blessing of that, the heritage of that. There's a well known story about a British prime minister, Benjamin Disraeli. He was a conservative statesman and he served as prime minister in Great Britain in the late 1800s. He was elected to parliament at the age of 33 and shortly after was attacked by um, an Irish Roman Catholic leader named Daniel O'Connell. In the course of his unrestrained criticisms of Disraeli, O'Connell referred to Disraeli's Jewish ancestry. And Disraeli responded, yes, sir, I am a Jew. And I remind my illustrious opponent that when the ancestors of that right noble gentleman were brutal savages eating nuts in a German forest, my ancestors were serving as priests in Solomon's Temple, and we're giving law and religion to the world. <laughs> so there, hey, you want to hold up resumes? And indeed, just the ministry of the, of the worship of Israel, and the law of Israel, and the picture of the Passover, and Christ being the last lamb that would be slaughtered, that this worship has come to us who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then the fathers, the patriarchs, God freely chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and promised that their descendants would be heirs of God. You know what is coming to me just in going through this list is how vital it is for you and for me to find our identity in what God has promised. What God has covenanted. Otherwise you're what? You're you're blown here and there by every wind. But to say, no, my my God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he's got a plan to the end. And through the patriarchs came the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he ends in verse 5. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Messiah, Christ our Lord. These privileges are enjoyed only by faith. You know, the application is unmistakable, and we'll close here. The application is unmistakable. Have you been nurtured in a Christian home? Have you been nurtured in a local church that is faithful to the Bible? Not perfect. By the way, if you're looking for a perfect church, you won't find one. (laughs) Stop looking for a perfect church and worship a perfect Savior with a gathering of believers who need God's grace just as badly as you do. But the application is... Is, is unmistakable. If you've been nurtured, you've been given privileges. You've been given the gospel. You've heard the word of God, Old and New Testaments. And if so, you n- need to heed the warning of Christ that your spiritual advantages, however great they are or may have been, will, they will not save you. They won't save you. They're meant to bring you to a saving relationship with Christ who said, you must be born again. You must be born again. It's a spiritual work of God by which you repent of your sins and trust in Him alone. I pray that you would. And I pray if you do know Him that we would grow together in understanding all the promises of God to us are yes. And to give us clarity in these days of how we should pray and how we should live. Would you bow with me as our worship team comes to lead us in this final song? Just a closing prayer to the Lord. Father, thank you for the book of Romans in chapter nine. We enter in with Paul's anguish, I think, feeling the weight of it and knowing that we have loved ones who are without hope and without Christ in this world and that we would intercede for them and we would seek to minister to them and we would indeed be ambassadors for you and ministers for your name. We pray for our community that indeed we would be a lighthouse. Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to proclaim faithfully your word that we might understand all that you have for us. Lead us now as we close out the service. May we do so in faith. And we just yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.